Hi again, everyone. We're doing this podcast about careers. <laughs> Today, I would like to welcome my next door neighbor, Miss Summer, a lawyer, and we are going to talk about some of the skill sets that have helped her succeed in her life. <laughs> what were some of the classes that you enjoyed? I would say in general, I, I liked school for the most part, so I never dreaded going and generally liked learning. I have a feeling not many people are going to identify with that, but <laughs> did that change in high school? No, I liked high school. I mean, I didn't love every class that I was in. I tended to not love like math. Like I remember taking like, algebra two with like trigonometry and stupid proofs. We had to. <laughs> I was like, I I I can accept that this is a triangle. I don't need to worry about that. I took calculus. I was. My grades were fine, but I didn't really understand it and hated that. So I just, that was really the death of math for me, for sure. So how did you choose your college? So I am from Texas. I'm from the Houston area. And I, all growing up, had this like big dream that I was going to move to New York. I really wanted to live in New York City so bad. I I never made it. Best of luck to you. We're but, actually going on a trip to New York. I'm so excited. Oh, that's fantastic. I, yeah, over the summer time. with the Girl oh, Scout troop. You'll have the best time. It'll be so we good. Will. Yeah. Very excited. So I really wanted to go to New York. I wanted to go to college there so bad. And my parents were like, you are, we're not paying for that. So I, in Texas at the time, the they have what they call the top 10% rule. And so like if you were in the top 10% of your graduating high school class and I was you got automatic admission to any public university in the state of Texas and so I decided to go to University of Texas at Austin so UT which was I loved I mean which was great it was not New York but I loved Austin and got to sort of be out on my own and figure out how to be a little more independent and you got some of the independence while still being in the same state yeah. as your family. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like an easy weekend drive away, like three hours away. So, yeah. yeah. Are there any choices that, looking back, you wish you had made differently? Yes, thousand percent, I would say. So one big thing that comes to mind, you know, like when I was growing up, my mom was very... There was definitely an expectation, like, you go to high school, then you immediately go to college, and then you immediately go to grad school. Like, that was just the expectation. And so I didn't get a chance to take any time off. So I went from, like, kindergarten all the way through, like, my law school degree. And I really wish that I had just taken time off, that I had taken gap years, that I had traveled, that I had worked jobs, saved up money, you know, for six months and then traveled for six months, you know, like at the time it didn't feel like that was an option. And, you know, looking back and lots of other people do it, it definitely was. And I would just say, once you start working and you get into the career and then you like, you know, have a life that you need to pay for, it's just, it can be harder to go back into, not impossible. I mean, people do that and I'm like, also people should do that. But I definitely wish that I had taken time off and that I had traveled and that I had done just had had a break and had more fun because it's like the second, you know, I graduated from 
law school, I was looking for a job and I just never had like that kind of extended time to just relax or have fun or anything like that. So I would definitely, definitely, definitely encourage taking time. There's no reason to rush into like entering being a grown up. And the other thing, it's not, I wouldn't have done it differently, but I didn't understand at the time the gravity of going to grad school all on loans and just taking out an ungodly amount of money that's just going to be with me forever. So not so much a regret, but I think I would have been a little more judicious with how I spent money with those loans because at the time you're just like, oh, you know, it's not real and it's very real and it's still here. Yeah. will be. So that, but mostly I think... Yeah, just understanding that you have a lot of options and things can look very different for different people and just embracing looking at everything instead of thinking you just have to follow like a particular path would be. Yeah. yeah. And back to your first point, taking time in between high school and college can give you a chance to like explore not only like maybe the world, but also what your interests are, maturing a little bit and like so that you can make a better choice about what you want to do yeah. later in life. So yeah. I, I really like that. That's a great piece of advice. And college costs money too, right? So it's like if it's not for you, if you want to do something else or you don't need it, I mean, yeah, you don't have to do it, you know? Yeah. So um, jumping ahead a bit, how did you get to your current role? So... The short and so I just started a new job about two months ago and I got into this current role because I got poached or recruited out of my last job and yes it's with a law firm and I've known I've sort of not worked for them but with them for almost my entire career and they were looking for somebody and thought I would be a good fit. And so I called and we're like, is there, are you at all interested in coming over? Um, and I was like, I am. So that's how I got there. That's the power of relationships and networking and just, yeah, maintaining relationships. But the, I guess maybe the longer answer, do you want a longer answer? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> is that uh so i do like energy law energy regulation and that has always been something that's been super interesting to me ever since i was an undergrad and so i have purposefully pursued i guess jobs that are in line with that path and so it's been kind of a progression from my first job all the way to this job to get in a nutshell what exactly is it that you do Yeah, so let's see. If we start with lawyers in general, they're kind of, I don't know, maybe two types in general, right? I think that's how people would describe it. So you can do litigation, which is like the fighting sort of thing, or like courtroom type proceedings that you see, things like that. And that's called litigation. And then there's transactional, which is like people, you know, when you, you're signing your contract or you want to buy a house or things like that, you're not fighting with somebody, you're trying to facilitate, you know, a relationship or something that you want to get out of it. And that's sort of transactional. That's the nice part. Litigation's the fighting mean part. So I primarily do litigation, but I don't appear in a courtroom. I appear in front of administrative agency, administrative agencies mostly. 
So it's a little different. So I do something called administrative litigation. And specifically, I do energy regulation. So that's kind of a a dense topic. But in general, we like one of my clients are big like industrial energy users. So you think about companies that would use like a ton of energy, right? So like things like manufacturing or like data centers or stuff like that. They, you know, they're electric bills are like in the millions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So they have a very big interest in keeping the, those rates, those costs as low as possible. And I advocate for lowering those costs for them. So there's a whole process that is involved with doing that. And I kind of work through that process. It's pretty dry. It's not like the most interesting to everybody, but I really like it. So does that kind of answer your, I don't know if that answers your higher level lawyer question. Um, Kind of, yeah. Very interesting because I didn't know about the like two different types of lawyer thing. So you mentioned transactional lawyers and you said that they didn't really, they didn't do as confrontational Mm -hmm. things. So can you expand on what kind of jobs they would be doing? Yeah, so those types of roles, I mean, it could be, it could be a lot of things. It could be like contract review or like real estate or yeah like like a, a lot of business stuff or things like wills and trusts so like when you want to set up you know a will so that you make sure that in the event of your death there's a you know transition of assets and things like that they work through things like that i mean it's it's just sort of i guess at a very high level it's kind of somebody has something they want to do maybe they want to buy a house maybe they want a will maybe they want to enter into a contract and so it's facilitating whatever the person is that they're buying and whatever the person wants to get. So it's like bridging that gap. So everybody's on the same page so that we all know what is supposed to happen in, you know, relation to whatever that transaction is. And so lawyers that tend to, I think, be successful in that type of role are detail oriented. They're good at researching. They are, don't mind getting into like, the weeds of things it's a lot of reading it's not it's definitely like less interactive than like a litigation role for example I mean you have maybe counterparties that you're working with but it's not you tend to be sort of pretty siloed I guess like kind of on your own it tends to be like an easier pace it doesn't it doesn't it's often not as like stressful. You do have back and forth. So there's like negotiation often involved where you're, you know, working with somebody and you have to have that kind of back and forth, but it's, everyone wants it to work. So it tends to be nicer. So if you're a person that is maybe more conflict averse, or you get a little more flustered or anxious in conflict, that could be, you know, but you're interested in being an attorney, like that could be a good role for that. Like litigators, I am one. I also hate conflict, so it can be done. But that tends to be, you know, like I said, like you could be in a courtroom, but that skill set is, you know, you still have to research. You still have to read a lot. I think you still have to be detailed, but not as detailed, I guess. I think you have to, you have to think your feet a lot more. So, you know, it, it can just be more fast paced, like more real time. Like you're not just, you don't have a lot of time to sit there and sort of think through things. You just have to 
know and react in real time. It can also mean that you're behind your desk a little less. So you may just be out and about more, like it's more conversational. It can be more team oriented. So it generally is you're interacting with a lot more people. I think for probably in every type of law, but maybe more for a litigator, relationships are important. And so like reputation and cultivating relationships and professionalism just tend to, I think they're just more front and centered. They matter in both, but they're just, it's just more, I guess, front and centered with litigation. So yeah, I don't know if that helps answer your question. but That does, that actually answers exactly like what my question was kind of trying to ask. I don't know, because I, the, the reason I asked that was because there are people who maybe aren't very confrontational or don't like arguments who like think lawyer might be an interesting Mm -hmm. career path but they didn't know what a transactional lawyer was so they crossed that off their list of possibilities even though that would be a really great career path for them so thank you for going into like the skill sets and that sort of stuff because that's exactly what that was for yeah and I would also say you know I'm, for example, I don't like fighting. I don't like conflict. It also makes me anxious. But that doesn't mean that you can't also be successful in like a litigation type role. I think you have to remember, or one thing to keep in mind, I guess, is when you're working on a case, you have like a, you have a universe of information, right? Like you're, what you're working with is like a known thing. It's a known quantity. And so you just become, when you become very masterful over that information, which is what happens through that litigation process, you can also have a lot of confidence in asserting an opinion or whatever your client's position is because you know the information very well. And so even though you are arguing with the other side, you're, you're really well equipped to do it. And, it, you know, sometimes it can be hard for me. I'm like, I don't know what my opinion is on whatever the best pizza is. Like, I have no idea what I think the best pizza in Portland is. But if you ask me something about a case, I would be able, because I've worked on the case and I know the issues, I could definitely articulate a client position. So it's also something like, even if you're a little nervous about that sort of fighting aspect Mm -hmm. of it, you can still be successful at it. So it's just, I think it's whatever's interesting. Yeah. Cool. So we've talked a little bit about skills, but what skill set do you use the most in your job? Ooh, like what's a like what's a skill set? Pretty much everything. <laughs> like I can tell you things I do. I mean, you have to be you have to be pretty detail oriented. I think in either either track. So I have to be detail-oriented. What I do is really, like, my particular practice area is really technical, and so the details of that matter, and so I have to, like, read very carefully. There's a lot of nuance. I have to, like, understand that nuance, so yeah, there's a lot of critical reading, a lot of uh, critical thinking and analyzation or analyzing issues. You have to be able to sort of read something read the law and then understand how your particular fact pattern applies to that law. So you have to 
I don't know, critical thinking, I guess. <laughs> Public speaking is another one. That's probably that's definitely a big difference between litigation and transactional. I have to be pretty comfortable just speaking in public all the time and that is also I think a skill set that if it doesn't come particularly naturally to you you can learn it just gets easier the more you do it honestly yeah I love public speaking it's one of like my favorite things but I, I do know a lot of my fellow middle schoolers hate it like they mm-hmm. we were doing a project recently and they were just like I don't want to talk in front of the class yeah so how would one develop those skills so I think the biggest thing like if we stick with public speaking for a second I think the biggest thing is to just practice or just have exposure to doing it I like some of your friends absolutely hated public speaking when I was in school. I forgot about this. I actually took public speaking in school. I think we had to take, it was like, you had to take it, I think. And I hated it. And I would get so stressed out on like whatever my speech day was. Um, So it is not something that came naturally to me at all. But I do think that it's really just an exposure thing. The more you do it and the more that you just If it's demanded by your job, the more you do it, you just get over it and figure it out eventually. Yeah. So for that one, I would say just practice lots of people. You know, I don't think anyone really ever told me this before, but a lot of people, when you have whatever your public speaking role is, I mean, practice in front of the mirror, practice in front of a friend. Like sometimes I, if I have oral argument and I have an opening statement, which is like where we have to actually present something, like argue in real time to or in front of a judge, I'll practice on my husband and just be like, hey, can you listen to this and make sure that it makes sense? So just saying it a bunch of times, just getting really comfortable with the material so that it sort of flows as second nature. Yeah, I think it's just about that sort of muscle memory and repetition for that. And you said you had to take up a public speaking class. Was that in high school or law school or? I took it in high school. Yeah, I think it was a requirement for me because I can't imagine that I would have volunteered for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, but like as you were saying, like just practice makes perfect and practicing it in different ways. Yeah. I know that's, it's really annoying, but it's worth it in the end. And though that not everybody knows everything. I think it can seem like people are very polished and know stuff, but you know, everybody's just doing their best and figuring it out and nobody's perfect. That's perfect advice. (laughs) Um, Are there any uh, skills that you are surprised you use? I use a lot of people management skills. So in order to get to, you know, the point, like when we, when you're in court or litigation or whatever it is, I mean, you, it's not the lawyer that's doing the testifying, you have witnesses. So you have to work a lot with other people in order to get, you know, get your case to the end. And so there's a lot of not just relationships with like other lawyers that you may interact with, but like relationships with people that you are depending on to do help you with your case and sort of coaching them and training them. And 
they can all have their own styles, their own strengths, their own weaknesses, their own insecurities, but it's your job as an attorney to figure out essentially what everybody needs to make it successful and you have to problem solve your way through it. And so there is a lot of, yeah, there's just a lot of sort of people management, like interpersonal communication that becomes a much bigger deal than I would have ever thought looking, you know, from the outside before I got into it. That sounds like something that is important for your job, but like no one would really think of it. So thank you for bringing that up. So is there one particular or more than one thing that you like about your job a lot? I really like that it's a challenge. It does sort of feed that kind of curiosity or like wanting to learn or knowledge. I mean, even though the law has been around forever and you would think that how do we not have it all figured out at this point? There's always new stuff happening, always new cases and fact patterns and things like that. So you kind of get to like learn and explore with each new case every time. So what do you like least about your career? Also the fighting with people. Yeah, that can be stressful. It can be stressful to just have to, I mean, fight with people all the time. It also tends to be, I have kind of less control over my schedule because deadlines are kind of set or events happen that I don't have a lot of control over. So I can have, you know, days or weeks where I'm not super busy, I'm not working, you know, a ton. And then there are times where I, you know, I work nights and weekends and, I can't really take vacation or anything like that. So it can just, it can be very volatile in terms of like how intense or busy it is. So it's not steady. It's like transactional jobs tend to be a little more steady. Like they're not ramping up and down in the same way. So yeah, I think the fighting and the, like the not so much control over my schedule are probably the two, my two least favorite parts. So a lot of people know what a lawyer is, but how would they know if it were a career path that they would want to pursue? I would say if it's something that you're interested in doing, you should talk to a lot of attorneys and see if like ask them what their day is like, ask them what their job is like, and see if that's something that sounds interesting to you. Know that there are a lot of different kinds of attorneys. Like, I mean, I kind of broke down two really broad categories, but within that, right, I mean, they're just, it's, the longer you do it, the more specialized it is of a field. And so I think it's important to sort of ask a lot of questions, understand what it looks like to be this kind of attorney or what it looks like to be that kind of attorney to see if it's something you're interested in. You know, unless if you're lucky, then maybe you have scholarships or you have your family or you are able to just finance it. Other than that, it's super expensive. So I would say think hard about whether what you want to do, like if you had, if you just had your dream job, what do you want to do? What does that look like? And then I think second to that is asking yourself, do you really need to go to law school to do it? Or do you really need to, is it really the legal part of whatever that job is that you want to do? Or do you like this industry and 
there's another way to be involved in it. So I see that a lot. When I say I do energy law, people say, oh, that's really cool. Like you just build a lot of renewables and all of that. I'm like, I don't do any of that part. That's zero part my job. Lawyers tend to do the very like dry nitty gritty parts of that. They're not often doing the sort of like big think, like fun project part of it. And so understanding, even if you want to be an attorney, depending on how you want to use that, I mean, you may not actually need to go to law school to do it. I'll say also that going to law school and having a law degree, I think opens a lot of doors. I mean, it's, it's very wild, widely applicable in a lot of ways. So I don't think you necessarily, I don't think it's a bad thing to do, even if you don't want to practice, but I think I would encourage people to really think about how expensive it is and whether you really need to do that if your ultimate goal is to not practice. So you mentioned calling a bunch of different attorneys and just like asking them about their daily life. How would you do that? Like, yeah. So I mean, one you you could hope that you know somebody, or at least know somebody that knows somebody that's an attorney. I think people are. I think I've never run into an attorney that wasn't super happy to talk to somebody. So if you kind of know of somebody, I would say don't be shy, even if you don't know them well, to to ask and take up their time. If you really don't, if you're just sort of shooting in the dark and you really don't know anybody, every state has a bar association. And so I would call the bar and just say, hey, I'm in middle school, I'm in high school, I'm interested in being an attorney. Is there anybody, can you guys point me to a resource where I can talk to somebody? And I'm very confident that the answer is yes, that they will absolutely be able to find somebody that can do that and help. I'm trying to think if there's specific, I mean, a lot of times in schools, they can have like, there's mentorship, like reading mentorship programs that have, like I did that. So where attorneys are paired with students and then you read a book together. So if I don't know, you know, there may be just programs in your school where you can do that, or maybe guidance counselors or career counselors uh, may also have that are at you know, your school may have some ideas as well. Worst case, I don't know, Google somebody and just try. I mean, I would say don't be shy. The worst case is you either don't get a return phone call or somebody says no. I mean, in either of those things, like, and then, the, you know, those aren't a big Just deal. call someone else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really cool that you can just call someone up and talk yeah, to them. I would try it. <laughs> so... If you weren't a lawyer, what career would um, would you see yourself in instead? Ooh. Like, just lawyer wasn't an option. Too many lawyers in the world. I kind of wanted to be a writer. I kind of thought it'd be fun to work for a newspaper and be a journalist. Yeah, that was always kind of on the back burner of an idea. Like, maybe I should be a writer. Yeah. So. It's a very interesting, like... Not a ton to do with each other, but yeah, I can see how some of the skills would overlap. I think there's like, you know, you have to dig in, you have to research, you have to investigate stuff. You know, you're interested in figuring out facts and the truth and so sort of related, but yeah, very, I think ultimately very different. Yeah. You do have to pass the bar and be licensed in order to be a practicing attorney You don't have to, but there's only one 
bar. So everyone that's going to be an attorney ever in the state of Oregon is taking the same exam. And then from the, and it's based on a very like high level general sort of subject matter that everybody takes or in law school. So in law school, you kind of your first year, maybe year and a half, you're, everybody's more or less taking the exact same classes. And then kind of like in high school, you get to pick electives after that. And so then you get to tailor your coursework more to your interests. But they call those sort of core classes like bar classes. And those are intended to teach everybody the same thing so that when you actually go to take the bar, you know the subject matter. And it's stuff that's kind of generally applicable to like any type of law that you would do or that you would just need to know at kind of a high level. And so, yeah, you can't, you have to take the bar, but you're kind of equipped to take the bar. Everybody's taking the same bar. Everybody's generally taking the same bar prep classes. And then it's after law school that you really get into like the sort of specific tracks that you may be interested in. So what about like internships? like during college when you're tailoring down are you doing that because you're going through some internships or are you just being like this looks interesting I'll do that so I think a cool thing about law school unlike maybe you know if you're interested in medical school or something like that you can really do whatever you want in undergrad (laughs) Like, it does not matter. There's no, you have to take what's called the LSAT, which is like a kind of like the SATs. It's called the law SATs. That's what the L is. Generally, to get admission, that's like one of the things you do to get admitted to law school. But other than taking that test, which is just like based on critical reading and comprehension and logic, anybody can take it. And it literally doesn't matter what you major in in undergrad. It doesn't matter what internships you had in undergrad. You could be an art major and have interned at MoMA or wherever, it doesn't matter. You can still, you can still go to law school. So that's definitely a cool part about it that, yeah, you can really just pursue a lot of your interests when you're an undergrad and then figure out, okay, do I want to go to law school? And then once you're in law school, you can also do internships, summer jobs, things like that. And those are pretty cool because law school is the very, you know, it's the bookie part, right? Like it's the class part, but it's not like a practical, there's not really a practical application. Like you're not really doing the things you're sort of reading about doing the things or it's teaching you. I mean, law school sort of teaches you how to be a lawyer. Like it teaches you how to think about stuff, but it doesn't teach you how to really do like the day-to-day aspects of it. And so once you get into law school and you do those types of internships or clerkships or whatever it is, that's where you really get to, you know, take the skill set that you've learned in the classroom and those concepts that you've learned in the classroom and see how they apply in real life or in real legal practice. But you also, there's just like, there's a lot of different parts of the law. There's a lot of different internships and clerkships and things that you can do. So it's nice in law school because you can test stuff out and see, oh, I kind of want to do this type of law. So I got an internship doing this. And then, you know, you decide that you really didn't like it or you want to do something else. And there's just a lot of flexibility there too. Cool. So I have two questions about the bar. So first of all, you said something about how the bar in Oregon is... Does that mean that the bar is different for different 
dates? Yeah. So mostly, and I'll confess it's been a while since I've looked at this. When I was in law school and I was graduating, you had to take the bar at whatever state you wanted to practice in. So I happened to go to law school here. I wanted to stay. So I took the Oregon bar. Each state has its own requirements. Each state at that time had its own test. So it wasn't like the, you know, the SATs where every student across the country is taking the same exact test. Each state had, you know, parts of the test that were different. After you practice for long enough, you could do something what's called like wave into another jurisdiction. And so through a process called, they call it reciprocity. So if you were a lawyer long enough, you can sort of get admitted in another state, but you had to practice for so long and there were requirements around that. So at least before, the whole point of that is it wasn't a particularly easy thing to transfer. Like if you took the bar in Oregon, you could do it with certain requirements, but it it didn't really, you can't just like go to California and you're automatically ready to go, right? I think that's changed a little bit actually, because now I think that there is a more standardized bar exam that may allow you to transfer scores between states. Each state will still have its own licensing requirements. And so that can include like a background check and scores for your school's transcripts. I mean, usually you have to graduate from an accredited law school. So you still have to go through all of those particular licensing requirements in different states, but your actual scores, I think, may be more transferable now than they were like back when I went to school. It reminds me of one other thing. When you are getting licensed, you have to pass what they call character and fitness which means that they do a background check, like the bar of your state does a background check on you and they look for things in your past that are like, that may speak to your sort of character and fitness to practice law. So, you know, I had, I think I had nine speeding tickets or something from when I was in high school. (laughs) That doesn't matter. Like they don't care about stuff like that. You know, I was a rule follower, but if you had like a minor in possession or whatever, they don't care about that. It's stuff where it kind of goes to how honest you would be. So if there was something, you know, something to be aware of if you're interested in, you know, somebody's interested in being an attorney, know that that is something that will, you know, that character and fitness will be a requirement. So don't like steal people's identity, (laughs) you know, things like that, 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 you know, a bar would potentially look at and think this isn't a person that we can trust to be, you know, honest and upholding the laws of, you know, whatever state. Yeah, though I'm pretty sure stealing someone's identity uh, disqualifies you from most jobs. <laughs> um, so I know with the realtor's license, you have to like retake it every few years. Is that the same with the lawyer's license? No. So you take the bar once and then you're licensed, but then we have what we call continuing legal education or CLEs. And so each state will have its own requirement for like what types of credits you need and how many you need. Like in Oregon, we're on a three-year reporting. We have a three-year reporting requirement. In that three years, we have to have 45 credits. And then those credits have to be made up of specific types of 
credits. So there will be things like an ethics one. There's what they call access to justice, which is ensuring that like all types of people have access to, you know, the legal system. Child abuse reporting or mandatory reporters. Elder abuse, also mandatory reporters for that, which means we have to report abuse. I, I should know that I think we know or are fairly certain is happening. We have to report that. We have no choice. So those types of credits anyway. And so rather than having to just retake a test, they kind of make sure that you're staying current on whatever you need to through that kind of continuing legal education process. Cool. Could you like right now, you change fields? Like you said you're an environmental lawyer or energy? Yeah. So could you like be some other random kind of lawyer with your current experience? So that's a great question. I would say yes and no. So some skill sets are just transferable. So in the beginning, when I was sort of talking about the difference, like you've got transactional and you've got litigation. I've done a lot of litigation, so I could probably walk in and do like, okay, you know, learn, but like would have footing to do some other type of litigation. I think especially if it was administrative, which is what I do now. So skill sets certainly transfer. The sort of... And it's not even a no. I mean, it's just like the more entrenched you are, like the longer you've been in your career, the more that you've developed a skill set in one particular area. I think it's just hard to convince somebody that they want to pay you to kind of learn a new area of law. So typically, like if you're, I'm 12 years in, if I were to do something completely different, right, I have to learn that from the beginning, just like anyone else. And people don't generally want to pay a 12-year attorney to learn something from the very beginning. But that's if you want to work for somebody. If you just want to be like a solo practitioner or do your own thing and you decide, oh, I'm going to put in the time and I want to learn this because I'm interested in it, I think you could absolutely do that. I think it's just, it's harder. It's just harder to kind of really take a big switch in the middle, but not impossible. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I do want to ask this final question, but if you could give advice to your 13 or 15 year old self, what would it be? Have fun and don't take things too seriously. Don't feel this pressure that you need to have it, everything figured out. There's lots of time for that. So if you don't know right now that you want to be a lawyer, totally okay. Yeah. Just have fun. That's what I would say. Have fun. Do all the fun stuff. <laughs> Live it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. You took a good final product. Yeah. So. Wait, what, what would the question be here? Because. You can say what we were talking about. Like, so, you know, earlier you mentioned, I think you did mention something like not as much. Or so, earlier you mentioned that you don't make as much as you wish you did, I think. You is, thought you would. Or thought you would. Sorry, yes. As you thought you would. 
what exactly do you mean by that? Um, yeah, so I think when I was, you know, younger, like in the second grade or something, I just thought all lawyers were like super rich and they, you know, just made a ton of money. And I'll say it really totally varies from like, it totally depends on what you're doing, who you work for, what you want your lifestyle to be like. So I think there's just a very, very wide range of salaries for attorneys. So like, for example, my very first attorney job, I worked part-time at a nonprofit. I made $10 an hour. That's what I made. Cause that's like what I could get. Obviously there are people that work in giant firms and they make way, 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 way more money. I think the trade-off there can be a couple of things. So in a big firm, you're tell you tend to not have as much work-life balance. So you are really in a demanding job in private practice, which is what it means when you're like at a law firm or something like that, as opposed to like working at a nonprofit or maybe being like what they call in-house, which is like where a company or an organization has an attorney that is salaried on their payroll and so they're not tracking their time when you're in private practice you have to track your time and it's called billable hours and so you bill you track every six minutes of your day so when you're working on something you are tracking every six minutes and you're keeping track of it in your timesheet so that that can actually be billed to the client so clients are billed at six minute increments and the, you know, the, the attorneys that tend to make a lot more money have what we call much higher billable hour requirements, which means you just have to, not everything that you do, you can actually bill for. So you just have to work a lot in order to generate that level of billable hours. Whereas if you're at a nonprofit or you're in-house, you may not have billable hours. That doesn't mean that you necessarily, I, I zero want to suggest that it means you don't work as much. You do, you just don't track your time the same way. And I think that often correlates to maybe you're not making quite as much. But if you're working, you know, if you think about being an attorney for Amazon or Google and they're like in-house, you know, they probably get paid pretty well. But in order to get to that point, they also probably put a lot of years in in private practice to sort of build the skill set that supports them in-house. So yeah, there's just a wide range of... So, you know, compensation, salaries, if you are at a firm, you know, often your compensation is based on what your billable hours are. So usually you have a minimum requirement. And then if you exceed that, then you can get bonuses on top of that. But there's almost always, unless you are just like a solo practitioner, or maybe if you're a partner where your income just truly depends on like what's coming in the door, you're, you're probably salaried, you probably have a pretty steady paycheck, and it's just a question of are you billing enough, doing enough to get bonuses, and then I would just add to your income. But yeah, it definitely is a, is a wide range, and I didn't realize that when I went to law school. Hmm. That's very interesting. Can I just ask, do you know why it's six minutes instead of five minutes or ten minutes? I don't. I get. I. I really don't. I don't know why they picked that. Six just seems so random. It's just like. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because it's like point one of an hour, so it's easy to do it in like tenths. Hmm. So like, I guess when you think about, I. I don't know. Yeah. 
I don't know why that's the unit. I don't know who came up with that. I think it's just been that way forever. But it's very standard across industry. I mean, that's just what lawyers do. They bill in six-minute increments. <laughs>